All right. Well, before we get into the sermon series, um, if you know a neighbor or you've seen anyone that's moved into your neighborhood lately, chances are they got one of these. Anybody know what this is? Board members can't raise their hand. (laughs) I don't even know if you know we're doing this. But it says right here, Welcome to the neighborhood, Burke family. And anyone that has recently moved within about a five-mile radius of our church receives one of these every single month. The first month, that we it's called the New Mover Program. And we send one of these out on the back, a little bit of information, a little map to our church, how we, when we meet, times, all that stuff. It's right here, all our website, everything. Everybody that moves in the, in the neighborhood, they could move from out of state or just across town. If they've had a change of address, and there's a whole team of people at Outreach, that's who puts these out for us, that um, figures out if they've just moved from apartment A to apartment B, we won't necessarily maybe send that. But if someone moved into the area, they go and they get one of these. The first month we did this was in the month of August, at the end of the month, and there were 250 plus homes that we reached with a little postcard saying, hey, welcome to the neighborhood. And then the last month, uh, there was close to 150, maybe a little more, of new movers in the neighborhood. So if you, if you see someone move in, chances are they're going to get one of these. And if they're in your neighborhood and, they, and you see one of these, come, hey, what is this? Make a connection. If you see them, they moved in, they might have gotten one. They probably did. So that's just, I wanted to make you guys aware that this is going on throughout our community. I've had a few people call me and say, this is wonderful. I can't believe we got, where, where, how did you do that? Well, we didn't. There's companies and people that can help us do this. But everyone is personalized. Everyone will say, welcome to the neighborhood, Jones family, or whoever. And, the, and it's, it's pretty cool. I think it, it reaches out to the people that have moved into the area or moved across town looking for a church family. You all can look at this one later on if you want to. Um, but if you know someone that gets one of these and they might, you might see them around or something, let them know, hey, that's my church. So there you go. Just want to let you know what's going on in the life of the church. Is that okay? You all awake this morning? A little bit? Okay. Y'all ready for the word? We're, we're, we're walking through this series, right? Trudging through this series. How many are getting a little bit out of the series as far as the upside down and getting out of something out of the Beatitudes? A little fresh look at what the Beatitudes uh, say to us. We're looking at the sermon that Jesus preached, right? Jesus himself. He preached that, this sermon on the mount, and this is sort of the intro to the sermon on the mount, that he, he was getting into it. And, uh, you know, turn, turn your Bibles if you have them this morning. Matthew chapter 5. Uh, we've been sort of camped out right there. There's a lot there. There's a lot to look at and a lot to study through the, in the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is actually where it all happens. This Sermon on the Mount. But we're looking at the very beginning of this sermon. This, this, this thing called the Beatitudes. We're not going to break all three chapters out right now. We're just looking at the very beginning. The, sort of the opening statements. And, and Jesus opens this sermon up with a bang. I mean, he says, you know what, here you go. And, and this is the words of Jesus Christ himself. The red letter edition, right? If you have a red letter Bible, these words are in red. These are the very words of Jesus we have the privilege of reading this morning. And he begins this sermon with this thing called the Beatitudes. And it might be the heading of your, in your Bible, in your, on your app that says, the Beatitudes. And it sounds like the word attitude, right? I always look at it like the Beatitudes. Like, this is how my attitude should be. Like, this is Beatitude. 
This is how you should be. This is what you should be thinking. This is, these are the things that Jesus puts out there. If you want this, this sermon to, to speak to you, to speak to your attitude, right? It kind of sounds like be attitude. How many know that you know, it's okay to have our attitude checked once in a while, all right? But there's these eight things that Jesus talks about here in the Beatitudes, these eight principles that if you'll live by these principles... Uh, you will have what this thing is called to be blessed or to, to find joy or happiness. He keeps saying, blessed are those that that, blessed are those that, blessed are those, right? All these things that he's saying, he's beginning to unfold this sermon with these opening statements. We've already looked at four of them. And so we're turning the corner today. We're looking at these last four Beatitudes. We're looking at Beatitude number five this week. We've already looked at blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. We've looked at blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek. Remember, meekness doesn't mean weakness. Meekness is actually power under control. Blessed are those that are meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And then last week we looked at the verse that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So blessed are those, beginning, and then the sort of the payoff, for they will be filled, for they will inherit the earth. So here's your situation, blessed are those, follow this, and this will happen. That's sort of how we're stepping through all this. And today we want to look at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 7. We look at the fifth beatitude, Matthew 5 and verse 7. You have it, say amen. I gave you every chance. All right. Which says this, blessed are are the merciful, for they will be shown what, church? Mercy. Now again, we're talking about things that are truly going to bless your lives. Blessed are those. Bring you this inner joy, this happiness, this blessed that you can experience really each, each and every day. Three major things I want to talk to you about this morning. The first one is what I call mercy paraphrased. I want to give you the definition of mercy, what it is and what it isn't, because I think it gets confusing sometimes. It's difficult to explain mercy. And one of the reasons that is that there are so many other qualities that are like mercy. They're close to mercy. They sort of have a hint of what mercy. They're intertwined with this mercy, but they're not mercy. Start explaining it. Sometimes it's easier to get the definition of something by explaining to you what it isn't. So I'm going to start by saying this morning what mercy is not. Make it nice and simple. Like, like I heard one preacher say, say, put the hay at the bottom of the trough where all the goats can get it. Nothing. Mercy is not when you show kindness. Mercy isn't kindness. It isn't when you show kindness to a friend some thoughtful act sort of done in the course of everyday life. You know, whether you're, you're, you're buying ice cream for one of your kids or you help someone clean out a garage or you, you help someone move or you send a bouquet of flowers to a, to a friend or a spouse. You take out the neighbor's trash for them. You cut their grass. You know, you might just... That, that's not mercy. It's kindness, but it's not mercy. And secondly, if you're taking notes... Mercy isn't necessarily, isn't compassion. And we'll unpack this a little more. Showing, showing compassion for the suffering is not mercy. And many people connect mercy 
with compassion, but compassion is usually a response we feel, right? It's something that we feel toward those that are hurting. We feel compassion. We want to help. You might feel compassion to those that are caught up in, like, in war zones, something you see, disaster areas, or you know someone that's in need. You feel compassion for those, you, or, or you, need, you see the, the elderly and the needs that they have, and you feel for those people. Whatever it is that God's put on your heart, the disenfranchised or maybe human trafficking or things that you really strike a chord in your heart, you feel compassion for that, but it's not mercy. Don't get them confused. Compassion is like to, to recognize someone is suffering and they're experiencing and you're going through something and you feel for that person. You feel compassion. That is compassion, but mercy acts to alleviate the suffering of that person. In many ways, mercy is the fruit of compassion. Whenever compassion acts to alleviate suffering, it becomes mercy. So mercy isn't just showing kindness. Mercy isn't just having compassion. What is mercy? Number one, mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is when someone in a stronger position, extends help to someone in a weaker position. It's when you extend or give. It can be compassion or love or support or forbearance, the Bible talks about, to someone that perhaps has offended you. That's when mercy comes to the forefront. To someone who is subject to your power, to your authority, you can show mercy to someone in a weaker position. Think of the Roman emperors, right? Remember when they used to have gladiators fighting? Remember that in history when gladiators would fight? And right before the fatal blow, they look up at the emperor, and the emperor can either do this, which is to take his life, or do this, which means he gets to live another day. That would be mercy. A quick story about a small act of mercy. I wonder if there are any uh, presidential scholars in the room. The 30th president of the United States. Anyone? No one's memorized that? Goodness. Calvin Coolidge. How can we not forget old Cal? President Cal, there's a story about the early days. of This is lonely up here this morning, folks. I mean, this is it. There's a story about the early days of Calvin Coolidge in his presidency. He woke one morning and he found a burglar in his room in the White House, in his room. Somehow, some, some way, a burglar got into the, into the White House, into his room. Very early days of his presidency. And Coolidge spoke up and he asked the thief, hey, 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 you can have anything you want in here, but don't take this pocket watch because I have, it's very, very, very special engraving on this pocket watch and I ask that you not take this pocket watch. And the thief agreed to not take the pocket watch. He was stunned that he was even caught. So Coolidge engaged the burglar in sort of a quiet conversation. And he discovered that he was a college student, this burglar, and he couldn't even afford his tuition and couldn't afford to get a ticket back home. He was desperate. He was just that desperate and broke. And, and Coolidge, after taking mercy on this thief a little bit so far, ended up giving him everything that he had in the room with him, which was $32. He gave this thief the $32, and even though the thief was there to take much more than that, he said to the thief, now I'm going to give you this $32, 
but I expect you to pay it back. So the, the thief said, okay. So Coolidge said this. He said, it's kind of funny because he, he, he says this. He says, now I want you to go in the same way you came out so the Secret Service doesn't see you. And so the story goes that the young man eventually paid the loan back and nobody got in trouble. You see, Coolidge could have called in the cavalry. But he didn't. He said, you know what? I'm going to show this kid some mercy. Take the $32 and we'll work it out. Mercy, another definition of mercy is foregoing an opportunity to take vengeance or punish or humiliate someone who actually deserves such a penalty. David Tim said that we show mercy when we relent from anger and actually completely forgive someone rather than to extract a pound for pound of flesh from them. Mercy. A lot of us would sort of get ready for an opportunity to give someone what they deserve, right? If they've wronged you, and you know what? Hey, they had it coming. A lot of our attitudes would say that. You know what? No, what? Nothing. They spoke against me or my kids. Mm-mm. Then they get what, so often it's so easy for us to say, they got what they deserved. To humiliate someone who sort of rubs us the wrong way. And I heard this uh, true story about a Romanian pastor named Richard Warmbrandt who worked in the underground churches in Romania during the communist rule in the middle of the 20th century. And, and he literally spent 14 years of his life in Romanian jails and labor camps because of his Christian faith. Richard Warmbrand tells of the story of a time where he personally shared a jail cell with another man by the name of John Stenescu. And both men were being held in a slave labor camp because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And in this labor camp, you were forbidden to even mention the name of Jesus. One day one of the other prisoners got caught talking about Jesus and the warden that was in charge of this labor camp, he went by the title of Colonel, Colonel Albin. This Colonel Albin was an angry man who regularly beat these prisoners in this camp and he rushed in and wanted to know, who was it? Who, who, Who was it? Who spoke up about this Jesus? No one spoke up. Sort of when you get caught about, you know, somebody does something in class, in school, and you say, who was it? No one says anything. But this Colonel Albin got so mad and his anger boiled over. You know what? If no one's going to tell me, then everyone's going to suffer. He threatened to flog everyone if someone didn't come forward and no one stepped forward. He said, all right, I'm going to start on one end of the jail and I'm going to work my way through the entire jail and I'm going to systematically beat everyone here. And eventually he came and stood before John Stenescu. And Stenescu looked him right in the eyes and he said to the prison warden, he said, you know what? There is a God in heaven who will judge you one day. His defiance surely meant that he would be beaten to death. His life was over. And when all this was going down, there was a commotion and right before the guard took action, he looked over and one of the security guards came over and spoke to the colonel and he said, sir, the communist generals have just stopped by for a visit. And they're requesting your immediate attention. So he turned and looked at Stanescu and he said, we will meet again. And he turned and he went back and he goes back to the offices and to everyone's surprise, the communist leaders came back and they were actually there to arrest the colonel. 
Colonel, Colonel Albin, for other crimes that he had committed. So that he must have been a really bad guy. And for punishment, they decided to, sh- to throw Colonel Albin back into the prison amongst the prisoners so they could have their way. Can you imagine? So they were ready. He was going to get what he deserved. The same cell block with the prisoners he had been in charge of and that he had flogged and beaten himself, now he was helpless and thrown in amongst the population. And so many of the inmates started to move in. I mean, these guys were salivating. And they were ready to beat and have their way with the former camp director. It was a death sentence for sure. Until one John Stanescu stepped in and he covered the colonel and took most of the beatings on himself and literally saved the life of Colonel Albin that day. And when I hear that story, I have to ask, would we have the same strength to show that kind of mercy on someone who clearly deserved it? Could we step in to protect our enemies when we finally had the power to crush them? So that's one element of what it means to show mercy. The primary meaning, and I know you've been itching to get in. I can tell it's on your faces. Pastor, get to the real meat. Get to the meaning of mercy. Blessed are the merciful. You might even write this down. The primary meaning of mercy is when we mimic God and give grace to those who do not deserve grace. To be merciful is to be like God himself. It was in Exodus chapter 34 when Moses went up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. Now you know that the people of God, after they received the Ten Commandments, immediately began breaking them. And so Moses had to go back up a second time. And the Bible says that no one can stand in the presence of God and live. And yet Moses went up on that mountain and he was in the presence of God and he was receiving those commandments. And the Bible proclaims these words in Exodus chapter 34. And he passed in front of Moses, speaking about God, the Lord, merciful and gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, And faithfulness. God is a merciful God. A gracious God. Don't forget that. God has graced you 10,000 times. Stuff you know about and stuff you don't know about. God's been gracious to you over and over and over again. He has shown faithfulness to you. It's proven by your very existence right here this morning. He has shown His grace to you. You would not be here without God's faithfulness and His grace. God has not just been kind to you. He's not just shown compassion to you. God has been merciful to you this morning. Day in and day out. None of us, not one of us, deserves God's grace. And yet He pours it out on us each and every day. Next, the picture of mercy. Take your Bibles, turn quickly over to Luke chapter 10. Hop on over to Luke 10. Been in Matthew, Mark, Luke, 
two books over. Luke chapter 10, if you have it, say amen, or just snore louder. It's lonely up here this morning, folks. One of the most important stories in the entire Bible is found in Luke chapter 10. Verse 25, flip over there. Jesus, in this story, is actually talking to a lawyer. Imagine that. I think all lawyers should talk to Jesus, don't you? And the lawyer, he asks Jesus a question in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. He says this, he says, What must I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, what do I do as a lawyer? What do I need to do to get to heaven? And I would say that I don't really care what your profession is this morning. Every single man, woman hearing my voice should be asking the same question. Jesus, what do I need to do to get to heaven? And if you're going to ask someone, what do I need to do? Jesus is the person to ask. So this lawyer comes up and he says, Jesus, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus answers the question with a question. You know, he does that often. He wants you to think on your own two feet. He says to the lawyer, Jesus, what do I need to do? Jesus answered the lawyer. He says, well, how do you read the scriptures? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? In other words, well, what does the Bible say, right? And anytime anybody asks you a question about anything in this world, you need to ask that same question, well, what does the Bible say? How do we read it? What do we think the scriptures say about it? Don't just tell someone everything that you think. Say, you know what, let's go see what the scripture says about this. Because the Bible has the answer to all of life's Greatest issues, make no mistake about it, don't lose sight of it. Remember that, followers of Jesus, this morning. Open His Word. So the lawyer comes to Jesus, what do I have to do? Well, how do you read the Scriptures? What does the Bible say? The lawyer says, well, here's how I read it. He said this, I've got to do a couple things. 27, one is to love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your strength, with all your mind. And then, secondly, the lawyer says, as I read the scriptures, in order for me to, f- to find eternal life, go to heaven, I've got to love my neighbor as myself. All right, I can love God with all my heart, soul, and mind, and strength, but now I've got to love someone else. Jesus said, ding, 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 you have answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. Now you think that would be the end of the story, right? How do I do this, Jesus? Well, how do you read it? This is what I read. Jesus says, you're right. Should be the end. Should be it. Enough said. But lawyers do what lawyers do. And lawyers often ask questions so they can find the loophole. Right? This is what lawyers do. They're looking for the loophole. What do I have to do to, have, have to find eternal life? Jesus says, well, how do you read the scriptures? He goes, well, i got to love the Lord your God with my heart, soul, strength, mind. Secondly, love, the neighbor, love my neighbor as myself. And Jesus says, right. And he says, i got one more question. All right. Verse 29. Who is this neighbor, Jesus? Who is, if I have to love my neighbor, tell me who this neighbor is. I mean, I mean, who is it? Is it the neighbor that takes the trash out for me while I'm on vacation? Is it the neighbor that watches my dog when I go away? Is it, is it the neighbor 
who does all these favors? Or is it the other neighbor on the other side whose dog barks all night and I can't get a minute's sleep? Is it the person that lives literally lives next door? To, who is this neighbor? Is it everybody on the block or is it just one neighbor? Who is this? Jesus tells a story to answer that question. It's about a man, a Jewish man. He says, you know what? There was this Jewish man who's going from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he's attacked by robbers. A thief came and beat the man half to death. They stripped him of his clothes and they beat him and they went away, leaving the man half dead. He's naked. He's going to die. Jesus says then, there was a guy that came along. A priest, a religious man. A Jewish religious man came, was walking by, and looked over and saw the man, and he passed by on the other side, just kept walking. And Jesus said, there's another man, a Levite. We've talked about Levites before. He's also a religious man. Levite walked by, passed him by, walked right by. And then Jesus said, there was a third fellow, and he was a Samaritan. Now, if you know anything about the Jews and the Samaritans, right, they didn't really exactly get along. They weren't friendly. Imagine that back in those days. There were racial issues. You think it's a new problem? This is not a new problem. These Samaritans, right? Oh, we can't, mm-mm. Those are like Jewish half-breed people. We can't have anything to do with them. And, and Jesus says that this Samaritan, as he traveled, he came to where the man was. And when he saw him there, he took pity on him. And he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. He, he put the man... And the next day, he took out two silver coins, denarii, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. He's in a bad way. When I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Then Jesus turns back to the lawyer and he asks this question. Which of these do you think was a neighbor? Which do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law replied, well, the one who had, here's our word, mercy on him. And then Jesus says, go and what? Do likewise. And these are Jesus' words to everyone hearing this word this morning. Everyone here this morning, everyone watching online, go and do likewise. I made up these words, and I hope you'll forgive me, but I think they get the point across. There are three classes of people. If you're taking notes, this is time, a good time to write this down. Three classes of people. There are the beater-uppers. The beater-uppers, right? These are the people, the robbers. These are the people that are going to rob you. These are the thieves, the, the evildoers, right? These are the people that are no question. These are bad people. And today it would be, these are gangsters. These are drug dealers. These are drug traffickers. These are human traffickers. These are the pornographers. These are, these are the beater-uppers. They're going to beat people up. They don't care much about people. They're just, they're the beater-uppers. The second class of people, there are the, the passer-uppers. So in the story, we saw the beater-uppers, and now we're to the passer-uppers. You know, these are people that will just see what's going on, and they'll walk on by, like the priest and the Levite. They can be religious folks. Imagine that. These can be people whose names who are on the church rolls. People who see the problem, but want to do nothing to help fix the problem. 
You know, they see it, but we really don't want to get involved. We just walk on by. And then there's a third group of people, the the beater-uppers, the passer-uppers, and then finally we have the lifter-uppers. The lifter-uppers. People who will stop and serve and forgive, who help sacrifice to help others, even toward people who have mistreated them in the past. We give mercy. The story of the Good Samaritan is the story of a great picture. It's a great picture of what it means to be merciful. Read that text over and over again. Read that that account of the Good Samaritan and go and do likewise. We come to the last point, which is mercy perfected. Mercy perfected. Go back and look at that verse in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. It said, Blessed are the merciful, for then what's the payoff, right? The merciful, for they will be shown, we said earlier, mercy. And I just want to say this this morning. You can't, see that's step two. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Uh, That's really step two, because you can't understand how to be merciful and show mercy until you realize that you've you've, you've got to realize that you are shown mercy. People skip over this. They won't really understand that. They say, you know what, Well, we, we need to show mercy. But you can't show mercy until you realize that you've already been shown mercy. And who is it that's shown us the most mercy? Well, it's Jesus Christ Himself. And I'm going to say something this morning that might surprise some of you. It might shock some of you. Some of you are going to disagree with me, but but hear me out. Hear the whole message. Don't just pick this out. Context. Mercy. Keep that that board in the back of your mind. God is not a fair God. There's nothing fair about God. I hope you understand that. And, and I hope you, if you've had this time, of maybe in the middle of the night or whenever, God, this isn't fair. You lose a job. You lose a, a, per, a, a person in your life. You lose a mate. You lose a friend. You lose a child. You lose money. You lose your health. And we cry out to God, this isn't fair. I would say to you that life isn't fair. And you really need to be thankful that God isn't fair. Hear me out, church. If God was fair, then we would all get what we deserve. Be careful what you wish for. You want a fair God? I don't think you do. The Bible says that we are all sinners. That we have all come short. We've all broken the law. And we all deserve what the Bible calls the wages of our sin. The wages of our transgression and sin is death. But the Bible says that God is a God who is rich in mercy. And doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us what we need. The psalmist cries out in Psalm 51, Have, here's our word, mercy on me. Have mercy on me, O God. He didn't say, God, be fair to me. No, he says, I have, mer- have mercy on me. It's not, oh God, please be fair. According to your unfailing love, blot out, one trans- translation says, blot out 
my transgressions or in my iniquities. Don't hold me guilty for those transgressions. God, show me mercy. I mean, if we got what we deserved, God would zap every one of us right now and we would all get what we deserved. How does this work? Ephesians chapter 2 explains it. Get into the Scripture, folks. Don't, don't, don't worry or, or don't, don't wonder. Get into the Scripture. A lot of times the Bible answers itself. The Bible, in fact, is the best commentary on the Bible. Just keep reading. Ephesians chapter 2. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in, say it, mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. We were all like that guy laying on the road, beaten half to death. We were dead in our transgressions. And He made us alive with Christ. By His grace, we have been saved. In God's mercy, He acted. Mercy is the act It's the action. We don't deserve His grace. We don't deserve His mercy. We don't deserve His forgiveness. But because He's so rich, God's rich, in mercy, He acted. He pours those things into our life. Forgiveness. Grace. And then you come to step two. Once you realize all that God has done for you, then you share that mercy with others. And then when we get even more mercy day in and day out, when we receive this mercy from God, we can give it away. It's not, I call it the circle of mercy. We receive mercy, we can give mercy. We receive mercy from God, we can give mercy to others. But until you realize that you've been shown great mercy by holy God, really what you deserve is, you really don't want what you deserve. You want God to show you that mercy. And then we can show that mercy to others. Anybody owe you money? Anybody owe you money? You can think right now, everybody, everybody just thought, I can think of three people. In fact, I've got a list right here. I'm going to read it. No, I'm not going <laughs> to. But has anybody ever owed you money? Or has anybody ever offended you? So much so. I mean, you just, oh, that person. And you're holding the grudge. There's somebody along the road that has either hurt you literally, physically, or emotionally, but someone has done you wrong, and you're, 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 you're not just supposed to give kindness. You're not just supposed to be compassionate. You're to walk giving mercy to those around you. Mercy. Does anybody know the difference between grace and mercy? We've we've said it in church a thousand times. Grace. God's grace. Anybody know the definition of grace? Who, Who said it? Unmerited favor? Right? God's unmerited favor. Giving you what you don't deserve. Right? You sit there and God just says, here's some grace. Oh, alright God. You didn't deserve that. But God gave it to you. Here's my grace. The difference is that that's God's unmerited favor. God just giving you something that you don't deserve. It's a gift. Mercy 
is not giving you what you do deserve. See the difference? Mercy is God not giving you what you do deserve. And so as you show mercy to others, bask in all of the mercy that God has given you. You haven't gotten what you deserved. God is not fair. If He were fair, we'd be in trouble. But through all of the mercy that He's poured into our lives, realize you haven't gotten what you deserve. Think of that person right now who is 100% thinks opposite of you. I mean 100%. You're on two different levels. You think this, I think this. We agree to disagree, man. I mean, it's... How would you show that person mercy? People that don't look like you. People that have different views than you. People that have different opinions than you. People that live in a different zip code than you do. Who have different political views, different all kinds of views. People who have cats. Just people that don't think, hello, no one. <laughs> you know cats are constantly planning your demise, right? Right? Dogs, when you see them, when you come home, they're all happy to see you. Cats, when you come home, you walk past them and they go, I'll see you later, buddy. Oh, isn't she sweet? Decides to bite your fingers off. Anyway, People you don't agree with, people that have cats, people that, uh, but how would you show them a great example of God's love for them and mercy? Realize the mercy that's been shown you. Extend that mercy to other people. Come on up, Randy. And I told you that this kingdom living, right, is upside down. Well, pastor, they, you know what they've done. Some cases I do. You know, you know what they've done to me. You know what they said about me. Pastor, you know what they, I mean. They, they got what, I mean, they're getting what they deserve. You can't walk around and say things like that or do things like they do. They're getting what they deserve. Let me ask you a question. Would you want what you deserve? Would you want God to have that same view of you? Oh, good, I'm going to give you what you deserve then. I'm talking to you Jesus followers this morning. When you have that attitude, when you say that thing about so-and-so, what do you deserve? Be thankful that God doesn't give us what we deserve. And I'm preaching to you and I'm preaching to me. I am thankful that God doesn't give me what I deserve. And because He doesn't give me what I deserve, the mercy that He shows me, I can find it through Him to show mercy to other people that don't deserve it. And I don't have to have it all under my control either. And I don't have to make it known to that person because this isn't really mercy. Hey buddy, you know what you deserve, but I'm going to show you mercy. That's not mercy. That's not real mercy. You didn't settle that. Real mercy, a lot of times, the other person doesn't have to even know. Doesn't even have to know. But you've shown them mercy in here. So you know what? They think differently than me. They are different than me. They've done some things. But you know what? We've done some things. In fact, we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
and he's shown us all mercy. Would you show the same mercy to someone who doesn't deserve it? You don't have to make a public spectacle of it. You don't have to post it. You don't have to tell somebody about it. But settle it in your heart. Settle it. Would you stand this morning as we close? Now's the time in the service that we take a few moments to reflect on what God's Word has said to us about mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Take inventory of your own life this morning. Those that you're opposite of, the thinking and the the way that they work and the way that they do life is not the way that you would do life. Maybe someone's even offended you personally, or maybe someone that you're close to has offended you, or physically hurt you, or or, or emotionally hurt you, whatever it is. You don't got to make a big spectacle of it. We're not talking about going up to them. We're not talking about getting online. We're not talking about any of that. I'm talking about settling it in your own heart and showing them mercy. So you know what? I will pray for them. I will love them somehow, some way. Because God has shown me mercy, I got to figure out how to show them mercy. And so would you bow your heads this morning as we go before the Lord and ask the Lord, This isn't something that comes easy, right? We want people to get what they deserve, especially if it's against us. This isn't something that comes real easy to us. But ask God for help here. And He will do it. Ask Him. Take some time this morning a few moments like the old teacher said too much of this not enough of this y'all know what I mean listen for God and how he would help you maybe he's putting some someone in your heart and in your mind right now who for years you would say they've, they've they got to get what they deserve but God's put them on your heart right now and said you know what you need to show them mercy you need to settle that You say, God, I don't know how I'm going to do it. Well, because of God's grace and faithfulness, He'll give you what you need. So, Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, worshiping God in spirit and in truth. God, we come before the throne with thanksgiving in our hearts, Lord, that Your word is alive. And we can read the same passages over and over and over. And as we continue to unpack them, we can get something new and something relevant in our lives every single time we read it. And God, we've read these through these Beatitudes probably as Jesus followers many, many times. But God, I pray that your spirit would stir up something fresh and new in us having heard from this beatitude that says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. This two-step process, Lord, of receiving and realizing, God, that you have given us mercy. (laughs) More mercy, Lord, than we could even get our minds around. 
And we're thankful, Lord, that you're not fair. You don't give us what we deserve. Because of that, God, we ask for your help in showing other people mercy as well. Help us, Lord, to be rich in mercy. (laughs) As we walk through this life on this earth, God, endeavoring to be more Christ-like each and every day, when Your Word says, Lord, that You are rich in mercy, God, I pray that somehow we would find a way to be rich in mercy. That we would understand those steps because you've shown us such mercy then we can show mercy to those who we feel don't deserve it. (laughs) Help us through this, Lord, because it's not in our nature We're so quick, God, to judge and say, well, you know what, so-and-so is so bad and so they deserve what they get. There are consequences for our sin. God, help us as frail humans to show those mercy. So Lord, when, when we show them the mercy that they sure don't expect, they might ask us the question, why did you show us this mercy? And then, Lord, we would begin to have a conversation and open a door, Lord, to maybe, just maybe, that person getting to know you as Savior. God, help us not to lose sight of our mission to reach those who don't know you with your love so that they would be a child of God. They would come to know you. God, that's our mission. Our mission is your mission, God. Loving the unlovable. Showing mercy to people who don't deserve it. Because really, God, that's what you did to us. It did for us. May we not lose sight of that, God, as we leave this place might we have that fresh in our minds so that when situations come and the enemy of our soul is ready to pounce as soon as we walk out these doors so when the enemy would put things in front of us that, that, and put us in situations where we need to find a way to give mercy God that we would remember these words that we heard this morning so when we go out into a dark world, Lord, into a, into a world that does not know you, into a world, Lord, that is antithetical to you and your word, somehow, God, we would be able to show your love There are so many people, God, in, in our own little circles, so many people that need to know your love. Are we, Lord, good ambassadors of your love? Or are we just jumping on the hate train with everybody else? Check our, uh, check our spirits this morning, God. How can we, Lord, show your love to a hateful, lost, dark, dying world? Maybe we show your love through mercy. 
God, we remember the mercy that you've shown us. I pray, Lord, that you would be with every person that's here hearing my voice this morning and would have the, they would have the strength to show that mercy and to realize who their neighbor is. I thank you, Lord, for the privilege of opening your word and learning and being open, Lord, to the correction of your spirit and the conviction of your spirit, God. Might we all, Lord, hear the words of Jesus this morning. Be with us all as we go from this place, Lord. Bring us back this afternoon, God, to gather together to support and to praise at Irons Mill with our youth worship band. Help us, Lord, to, uh, to all get there safely and have a wonderful time of fellowship in Jesus' name. Father, we love you. We thank you for loving us. Thank you for showing us the mercy that you have. And as we depart from this place, Lord, may we not depart from your presence. In the powerful and mighty, loving, merciful name of Jesus. Amen and amen. God bless you all. We'll see you all at Irons Mill. Hang on. Everyone that's going to Irons Mill, meet up here.